Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Ballot to Talk About. This week we'll be breaking down the results of the recent regional election in Spain and asking the big question, can Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez's gamble of calling a snap general election pay off? It's Sunday the 11th of June 2023. be a president who seeks not to divide, but unify. Not now. I am a fighter and not a fighter. Time for a change in this country, my friends. A real change. Let's keep moving. Slava Ukraine! Joining me on the other side of the world, as always, is my co-host, Chern. Chern, how's everything going with you? Uh, it's going good, thanks. We were just discussing for listeners' benefit before we started that it probably is colder here than it is currently in the United Kingdom at the moment, which is not usually the case. It's going to be when we record this podcast over the year. So I'm going to savor this once in a life, once a year kind of <laughs> phenomenon. How are you, Sam? Otherwise, enjoying the sun? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm enjoying the sun and. Uh... Also enjoying the explosion of political news this week. I mean, Trump's indictment, Boris Johnson's resignation, Nadine Dorries' resignation. Um, but we're going to be unpacking all of that in the weeks and months to come, I'm sure. But there's there's been a lot of political news elsewhere as well, hasn't there? It certainly has been. And you forgot about Nigel Adams and Selby and Ainsley as well. Exactly. Um, but before we crack on with our main um, political news, and since we're talking about British politics... Um, I'm, this is a surprise kind of quiz question for you, Sam. Um, 11th of June, general election dates. Do you remember which general election took place then in the United Kingdom? That's a very good question. Was it, was it one in the 80s? Yes, it was one in the 80s. 83? Close. It was 87. You <laughs> had two elections in the 80s, so you had a 50-50 chance. <laughs> Um, but it was Margaret Thatcher's third election victory in 1987, which delivered her Conservative government the third term with a majority of 102, um, which was actually, if you look at Boris Johnson's last um, election victory in 2019, probably the one that's numerically closest to that was Mrs. Thatcher's victory in 1987. So there you go. We can draw a link between Boris Johnson's resignation on Friday to uh, a little bit of history. And I should say as well, Sam, that the 1983 election, which you did say, it was the 40th anniversary of that election two days ago. So on the 9th of June, 1983. So we're in that period of British politics where there are a lot of elections anniversaries, isn't it? Absolutely. But today, as I said at the top of the show, we'll be unpacking a variety of regional elections that took place across Spain. And because in the aftermath of that, Pedro Sanchez decided to call a snap general election to take place on the 23rd of July. We'll also be unpacking what is to look for in that general election um, and how we can maybe interpret these regional election results in the light of that election decision. So, Chen, why don't you start us off by giving a rundown of the regional election results? Yes, yeah, so I think... There, are, there were two elections to 12 autonomous communities and also local elections as well. But I suppose there are five main stories potentially that we can come out of it. The chief among which was that 
if in a sentence, it was a poor night for the socialists and their left-wing allies, and the People's Party was probably the biggest win of the night. So for let's just look at uh, Madrid, which was, the, of course, the marquee race that everyone was focusing on. We, we, we question whether the president then, Isabel Diaz Ayuso, will be able to get overall majority. The answer is yes, she ma- did manage to. Um, largely because the Podemos party, which we talked about, fell below the 5% threshold. There was a straight switch in La Roja, with the People's Party forming a majority government from the socialists. They also regained first, the People's Party also regained the first place in Aragon, Cantabria and Valencia from the socialists, but will very likely need the help of the far-right Vox Party to form a government. And it has to be Vox because a government of PP and Vox is the only viable option in all three communities, which we will probably be unpacking a little bit. That being said, the socialists did manage to hold on in Asturias and Castilla-La Mancha, both regions where the socialists did slightly gain on vote share. And we should also note as a final point, I'm not sure how much we would dwell on this, but it was not just a poor night for the socialists and the left-wing allies on the Iberian Peninsula. The socialists are also set to lose control in both the Balearic Islands to the People's Party and the Canary Islands to the Canary Coalition. So it seems um, a bad night for all, which would later mark what Pedro Santos decided to do in response, even more remarkable indeed. But Sam, let's just focus on the regional elections and analyze these in a bit more detail. Broadly, did you expect this to be this bad a night for the socialists? Yeah, I mean, just to put some numbers on that, um, the socialists in advance of these elections controlled nine of the 12 autonomous communities that were holding elections a few weeks ago. They've lost control in, in at least six of them, with Navarre still hanging in the balance. So that's the extent of of these results for the Socialist Party, losing support, losing control all across Spain. It wasn't geographically concentrated. This was all across um, Spain, as you said, making the decision to then going to a general election all the more remarkable because of it. But did I expect it to be this bad? Yes and no. I mean, it was it was not a particular surprise that the socialists were falling out of government in a lot of these because one thing we did talk about is that it wasn't necessarily the socialists doing incredibly badly it was the fact that the citizens party completely fell off the map and the people's party vote share was significantly up so actually the socialist party vote share broadly held um from 2019 to now overall and about 29 percent the difference was that the people's party overall vote share was up 10% and the other small leftist parties split even further meaning that quite a lot of them just didn't pass the electoral threshold to get seats so even if the socialist party relatively held firm or lost one or two seats they just did not have any viable coalition partners to bring them over the majority line whereas the people's party had them doing well and vox doing well relative to 2019 so I don't necessarily think the narrative is solely the socialists having a disastrous night, but I think they would have been disappointed to have lost on out on so many of the autonomous communities. Yeah, I think that's a very good point to be made. I mean, in some of the places in which they are set to lose government, they had commendable performances. I mean, in Aragon, for example, they held their vote share down 1% and only lost one seat, but it's because Podemos 
fell um had a lost four seats down from their previous year five they have vote more than half it's why they are falling below the threshold as well the united left barely made any inroads as well they have one seat and the chunka aragonista will maintain their three seats so those are three seats that the CHA, Podemos, and United Left, and I think Aragon's a good example to show the effect of the fragmented left, where you could imagine the impact, Sam, particularly in an electoral system like Dehonte, where because it is kind of like a first-past-the-post system, it really punishes parties or they're ideologically close to each other, but fundamentally divided, isn't it? Yeah, and that's why I think one of the big pieces of news over the last week in terms of the general election was that agreement signed between Podemos and Sumar, which I'm sure in the second half of this podcast we'll be, we'll be touching on, because that is a huge piece of news in terms of the prospects of the left going into the general election. But I think, Chen, another thing to just mention about whether these results were partic- surprisingly bad, I think the People's Party have been on the march for basically the majority of this last parliament. I mean, we've seen the Madrid success in 2021, um, the Andalusia election last year, where the People's Party got an absolute majority, and also they took control of government in Castile and Leon, um, having to negotiate with Vox, which was sort of the precursor to these regional elections coming up in how you deal deal with Vox. So these People's Party victories haven't come out of the blue in 2023, really, have they? No, they have not. Um, we've definitely seen a long time coming. And I think you the context of this election is something we've talked about on preview, is the fact that in the last election in 2019, there definitely was a case of a lot of centre-right voters voting for the Citizens' Party instead from previously voting for the People's Party. And I think my analysis of these results, it does seem to me, Sam, that there seems to be a very high legitimacy afforded to the party that comes in first place in this election. It is the case if you come in first, even if it's by one or two seats, is that you usually can find the allies you need to form a government of some kind. And the reality is that when you have such a close centre-right party next to you, you simply were able to, um, the, the, you were simply punished very heavily. And then when that centre-right party disappeared, the People's Party have naturally restored their place back to the top of the ticket. And so therefore, it makes it interesting to look at the Madrid results, of course, because Madrid results, we're comparing these results directly against 2021, when the Citizens' Party were already wiped off the map in that election, Sam. And I would like to start there in terms of an analysis before we move to the rest of the regions, because the story there is a little bit different, is that Yes, Isabel Ayuso managed to, DS Ayuso managed to get over the line. But interestingly here, Sam, what we did see is the decline in Vox, isn't it, in, in the Madrid region, compared to their performances in the rest of the region. Vox lost two seats, they're only down 11, and 7% of the vote. Um, so that was that is something interesting. Um, and I, and, and, but the main reason why the People's Party probably was able to gain a majority is because Podemos, as I said in the preview, fell below the 5% threshold. They got 4.7%, which meant that they automatically get zero seats and they all the other seat allocation got redistributed to the People's Party, Mass Madrid, the Socialist and Vox Party. So Sam, let's start there. What is your reaction to the Madrid results? Well, the Madrid, the Madrid results are as um, seismic as we talked about them being in a, in the preview because 
we talked about how Isabel Diaz Ayuso is really making her mark as one of the big People's Party figures nationally, even though she's president of the region that contains the capital of Spain. Um, and we were largely expecting her to get a majority if indeed Podemos fell below the line because of the way the, the de Hunt system works. But in terms of the ebb and flow of the parties below the People's Party, I think it's important to remember that Yes, Madrid had a snap election in 2021, where even just two years ago, the political landscape was slightly different. I mean, if you look at the opinion polls, Vox were performing much better nationally at that time um, and, were be and were on the verge of quite a big surge into early 2022, which has since sort of petered out back to below 2019 levels. This is nationally, not just in Madrid. So I think it's important to add that asterisk in here as we unpack this relative to the rest of the results because the if you compare Madrid 2023 to 2019 it's a very different comparison to if it's 2023 to 2021 and it's important to bear in mind that there was that snap election in the middle um, which did have a slightly different national landscape even though it was just two years ago. I think that 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 comparison point of Vox doing significantly better than 2019, but not necessarily as good as 2021 is a very good one instead. In more qualitative terms, I did read that part of the decline in Vox's vote um, was potentially um, tactical voting on some of Vox's supporters to guarantee the People's Party a majority. And that was certainly um, the message that Isabel Diaz Ayuso I mean, was it's, running it's, on. Is, it's the same message that was in Andalusia as well, wasn't it? Exactly. So there was some potential tactical voting to that extent. And I think ideologically as well, Isabel Diaz Ayuso, particularly her policies in the pandemic, being very pro-business, wanting to keep Madrid as a region open. You know, she's much more of a populist herself. I think it therefore made the, the, the switch amongst Vox voters a much more comfortable proposition to vote for the People's Party because she is not the moderate, more centrist People's Party leader uh, than some in some other places, isn't it? Yeah, I, th I think that's a good point. And I think it's why when we are unpacking these regional election results, yes, it's quite easy to treat them as some sort of homogenous uniform swing. Everything's the same. It's not the same. Um, and these regions are quite diverse in terms of their politics. Spain has a lot of smaller regionalist parties who operate really in one of the autonomous communities, not even a handful, but one or two, if not just one. Um, and it's important that to acknowledge that the big parties, the Socialists, the People's Party, formerly the Citizens, even Podemos, Vox, even they operate differently in these different political landscapes across Spain. So that is that is important to acknowledge. But the one thing I will say is that, yes, they're all slightly different, but there are still some very similar trends. Like Sam, I'm not sure whether you noticed the really close relationship between the fall in the Citizens' Party vote and the increase in the People's Party vote. So let me just read out some examples. In Aragon, the Citizens' Party lost 12 seats and 15% of the vote. The People's Party won 12 seats and 15% of the vote. Um, this is, you, you, I can run through a whole list, Sam. Extra Maruda, um, the People's Party gained 11% of the vote and 8 seats. The Citizens' Party lost 10% of the vote and all 7 seats. Other ones, Valencia, the People's Party gained 17% of the vote and 21 seats. And the Citizens' Party lost 16% of the vote and 18 seats. 
in Mucha, the People's Party gained 10% of the vote and five seats, and the Citizens Party lost 10% of the vote and six seats. So again, La Rojoya, the same thing as well. People's Party gained 12% of the vote, Citizens Party lost 11%. So there is an element of consistency there, isn't it? Yeah, and um, it's what is really interesting in terms of the general election is that you won't be seeing that stark of a contrast because the 2019 general election held in November, the Citizens Party completely collapsed then rather than um, impending collapse now in this election. So that is one of the trends that I don't think will be carrying into the general election because the Citizens Party collapse has already happened on the national scale. And more fundamentally, the Citizens Party have announced they're not even running in the election. So it's quite remarkable, isn't it? I mean, you, if you think about Spanish politics five, six years ago, Sam, can you imagine the Citizens Party being in this situation? No, absolutely not. And I mean, Spain has been marked, I think, um, as as a fairly consistent country, because just look at Italy, um, not too far away from Spain, the main party system has completely collapsed and parties are coming and going. Um, but the, Spain tends to be relatively consistent. I mean, we still have the Socialist and People's Party battling it out, despite those parties coming and going. But the rise and fall of the Citizens Party, I think, even in that system, has been particularly stark. Oh, but that being said, though, look at France next door. You know, the Socialists there and the centre-right party have largely faded into irrelevance. And now we're talking about people like Marine Le Pen, you know, Emmanuel Macron. You know, for the last two elections, it's both of them that have been in the second round of the presidential election. So... Yeah, it, it does seem remarkable that the rigid the People's Party and the Socialists have sort of maintained their position, whereas it there is it is getting more chaotic around the seams, isn't it? So Chen, I want to just very quickly talk about um one of the other things that sets a lot of these regional parliaments aside from each other, which is the People's Party's treatment of Vox um in the aftermath of these elections, because Yes, we're in the very early days of coalition negotiations and a lot of people are expecting it to sort of be put on hold while the general election campaign continues. But nonetheless, we've seen very, very different overtures from People's Party politicians as to what they want to do with Vox. And I just wanted some comments of yours on those different relationships, just to list a few for the listeners' benefit. I mean, Extremadura, they're pledging to work with Vox in government. Mercia, they want to work with Vox just for the investiture vote and then potentially not afterwards. Aragon, I mean, the, the People's Party leader in Aragon is wanting to talk to the socialists about, um, about abstaining in the investiture vote. And just in the last few days, socialists have said absolutely not. Um, and in Cantabria, we see the former party of government supporting the People's Party minority status to avoid collaboration with Vox. So you've got quite a spectrum of ways that they're dealing with Vox. Um, what do you make of it? I think it is the wider context that twin of the general election that is coming out that could explain it. I think without the spectrum of a general election, I do wonder if there was much more willingness of a more straightforward arrangement between the People's Party and Vox. Because as I mentioned a bit earlier, that is the only, a lot of the cases, the only alternative government. Um, in Aragon is the exception where that is, you know, they're trying something, an alternative. Uh, but in Extremadura, for example, and Mercer, 
the reality is is that even if the socialists and the far left come together, they do not they still have a minority of seats within the provincial parliament, and therefore it is the People's Party needs to form some kind of arrangement with Vox. So that's what I think is bring both of these parties together. Canterbury is, of course, the interesting example. We covered this in a preview. And I think it does make sense for the People's Party to prevent the Pedro Sanchez being given a narrative of the them working with the far right to work with that regionalist party. And I suppose the regionalist party, yes, you might have lost government, but this is an opportunity to remain close to or exercise influential levers of power. So therefore, you want to seek some kind of cooperation with the People's Party. So I think in both sense, it is um, beneficial to both parties to seek an arrangement with each other. I think with Aragon itself, again, we are in a situation where the it is, of course, like you said, it does show you that it's not always the case and the preferences of the local leaders is particularly important as well. I mean, there, is, there could be a world where the People's Party, Podemos, and some of the other regionalist parties, uh, they'll gang out against the People's Party, but Vox's seats will still matter. So and from, and I from think... Vox's perspective, what's what's in their interests to do here? Because there are two parties involved in this. The People's Party obviously have certain motivations. Is it within Vox's interest to go into government here? Is it within their interest to block People's Party accession? What What do you make of their perspective? I'm of the view that I think some of the uh, um, some of the best ways in which we often see that when the far right enters government, and I'm thinking of the Finns party when they entered government in 2015, for example, springs to mind. They often suffer quite a fall in their vote, and you know Norway is another example to a lesser extent as well. So therefore, I think that one of the ways in which they can still maintain some kind of influence is they provide confidence and supply kind of arrangements to centre-right governments. So I think if the if Vox is thinking strategically, they obviously would prefer a centre-right government because they could probably get exercise more influence compared to the centre-left, who would just shut them out altogether. But at the same time, they probably would not want to get into government because they have seen the consequences of the typical anti-establishment vote, which it naturally attracts, just simply going away to other political party. So I think it is in Vox's interest to work with the People's Party because they can gain something out of it, but to a certain extent. And I think that suits the People's Party just fine. Yeah, I, I tend to fully agree with you. And I think the spectre of this general election is hugely significant here because for both parties, because Vox are thinking we can extract some concessions and prove that our politics are more accepted across the board going into general election. Whereas the People's Party, I think, don't really know what to do because it's widely expected that the People's Party, if they triumph in this election, are going to have to work with Vox to at least um, get Alberta Fijo over the line in an, in an investiture vote. Um, but at the same time, will it put off moderate voters if for the entire general election campaign all across Spain, they're in negotiations with quite a far right party, um, a very con socially conservative party for sure. Um, and will that benefit the left to be making that argument consistently that they're working together? So um, that that is a very interesting context. And I would imagine that if we were still expecting the general election in December, as you said, we'd probably be having very different conversations now about what these governments might look like. So let's, um, we talked a lot about the right. Let's talk about the left. Um, 
it was a bad night for the socialists. However, I think, would you agree with me that if you dig below the surface a little bit, as we hinted about, the socialists have commendable performances in some of these regions, for example, Aragon, Asturias, Cantabria, they were largely let down, I would argue, by their other left-wing or centre-left coalition partners doing badly rather than them themselves. And in Castilla-La Mancha, which we talked about mm-hmm. as one of those rich states in our preview, they increased their vote and only lost they and increased their vote, enabling them to hold on. So well, what? How would Pedro Sanchez react to these results? Do you think? Because the headline is a bad one, but as I said, it is a bit of a different story. We dig down below, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's it's one of those situations where it's very similar when we talked about um, the Swedish general election as one example. Is that the narrative is sort of taken over by what's going on at the very top of government, but ignoring the fact that the actual main left-wing party, totemic left-wing party, actually did really well in that election and it was the allies who let them down. I mean, I think a great example in this is also Navarre, where I think the um, the socialists are probably going to remain in government because there are left-wing smaller parties lower down, including Bildu, who I'm sure we'll talk about when we talk about the general election as well. Um, because in 2015, the socialists came fifth um, and in twenty and until twenty nineteen had only been in power in Navarre for a total of two years since nineteen ninety one. So that's the sort of region where them holding on to government is actually a really positive result. And I think in years gone by, that would have been one of the lauded results. I think of talking about look, the socialists are having a much bigger reach than they've had historically. They're working with smaller parties. They're able to stay in government. So I think you're absolutely right that under the surface, I think there are some takeaway positives um for the socialist party um however however even further under the surface when you go down to the local election level this was a terrible day for the left-wing parties and the socialists and the um podemos i mean the people's party and vox collectively will now control every single major city in spain with the exception of barcelona um the socialists lost um well over a thousand councillors across the country. Podemos also lost a sizable number of their councillors as well in place of Vox and the People's Party. So yes, we're talking about some relative positives here, but I think it is important to keep coming back to the fact that yes, the Socialist Party vote broadly held, but they saw losses everywhere. um, And that is important to remember as well. And in some places like Seville, for example, the People's Party have never held the mayority of Seville. So these are historic losses, not just, you know, in a typical election swinging back to four. Some of these are historic, isn't it? And, you know, we often think we go back to our understanding and something that we have said on this podcast quite a few times, Sam, where, you know, we often think of urban areas as much more centre-left, you know, the Madrid region and Madrid City Council are both People's Party controlled, isn't it? Yeah, I was just going to say, not anymore in Spain. Exactly. So I think that that is something in which to note overall. But I think you're right regarding the socialists as well. But I think the bigger concern, I think, is in the far in in the left wing parties. Because again, if we if we were to think back ten years, you know, the Citizens Party and Podemos were both threatening the holds of both the the center right People's Party and the center left Socialists. 
But both major parties have seemed to be able to fend off this threat, isn't it? Because from Podemos' perspective, they fell below the threshold in Madrid and in Valencia as well. And it was this whole sea of losses I could I I have in my notes here. I mean, Ara- I've, I've got I've got a more stark statistic about Podemos. Actually, do you know how many seats they currently hold in regional parliaments across the country? Regional parliaments? Uh, no. How many? So they now have twenty. Re- seats across regional parliaments um, in in Spain, just twenty. Wow, that is very low indeed. So what? I is... mean, it's not as bad as the Citizens Party, um, who were basically wiped off the map. They have nine, um, but one is Castilla and Leon, two in Basque, and six in Catalonia. None of which were up for election this year. So, um, but it's not that bad. But twenty is quite um, quite something. So what do you think, looking back at these results, can explain the overall swing away from the left? What factors? I think there's multiple factors. I think one is the left have increasingly split in the last four years. Um, Obviously, on the headline national scene, we had um, Deputy Prime Minister Yolanda Diaz walk away from Podemos, form her own party. They've been spatting over all kinds of things um, and taking votes away from each other, which I think makes this agreement this week even more seismic and more surprising. Um, But you've had Sumar and Podemos battling it out as two of the biggest national left-wing alternatives to the socialists. But then even further down, you've got a variety of nationalist um, parties, which I think are arguably on the rise on the left, but again, tend to fall either just above or just below the electoral threshold. You've got Mas Pais, who are growing um, in prominence, particularly in the central belt of Spain, um, who have fallen into this Sumar coalition for the general as well. But you've just got this increased fragmentation, which in first-past-the-post is terminal, in proportional systems is certainly not helpful. So... um, I think that has been one of the biggest aspects of this. So voters are going all over the place and it might be that they're not turning away from the left, but they're going to lots of different parties, which makes it look like the left is completely falling off the electoral map. And I I think it's useful to explain how the De Honte electoral system works. So in a region, let's say there are five seats, you count all your votes, you have party A, B, C, D, E. And what will happen is that if if when party A wins the first seat, their vote is half, and then you then look at who the winner is beyond that. And if it's party B then has more vote than half of party A, they win the second seat. So you actually, that's why you need to consolidate. Um, so I would argue that it could be almost as damaging, actually, in a similar to first past the post, because it's a whole series of first past the post elections in a multi-MP system. So to me, this is actually a fragmented far left is actually very dangerous and that's it's, why it's it's also i mean in the way the spain general election is done is it's split into lots of different regions some of which mirror the regions we've been talking about today some of which break it down even further but quite a number of them have five or less cons- um, seats within the constituencies so basically if you don't come in the top four positions you're guaranteed not to get any seats um and quite a lot of these small parties don't so um Within these smaller regions, you're completely obliterated if you're not united. And even in the bigger ones, if your vote is consistently sitting in the bottom end of the table, where the big parties are just getting seat after seat after seat, um, you 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 face a big problem. 
Exactly. I couldn't have said it any better. And that, of course, brought it the imperative for them to try and form a coalition with each other. If we wanted to go back to your original point, I think one thing that we didn't discuss about in the last podcast, but I've been reading a lot since, is that I think this election would take place in and in the end of July, peak summer period in Spain, which it's been quite brutal, the summers in the Mediterranean in terms of the climate change. And I think one of the big issues is the drought issue and the water issue is going to be a big one. I did read that in certain parts of Spain, there was a lot of frustration with the socialists who tried to regulate water use and water supply to try and preserve the natural environment, which of course angered a lot of the farmers and I think that historical tension will also be one of the underlying currents that drove a lot of farmers and a lot of rural people who have depended on you know, irrigation to try and, um, and, and for subsist- either subsistence or commercial agriculture to turn away from the socialists and the left-wing parties because of their water and climate policies. So I think that's another more policy-oriented point I wanted to put in. Mm, mm. Well, let's let's talk about the general election because we've been hinting at it throughout this podcast. So obviously, um, the 23rd of July, Spain will be going to a snap general election called by Pedro Sanchez within hours of these regional election results coming in um, from the end of May. They'll be electing all 350 members of the Chamber of Deputies and 208 of the 266 seats in the Senate. On the national scene, we currently have a coalition between the Socialists and Unidas Podemos, who now are under the big umbrella of SUMAR, uh, under Deputy Prime Minister Yolanda Diaz. Um, and they're propped up in government and in investiture votes, in confidence motions, by smaller and regionalist parties from across Spain. As I hinted before, on the national level, the Citizens' Party's bottom fell out way back in 2019 in that November election. They now just have 10 seats. But as you said, Chern, they're not even running in this election. So that's 10 seats that are definitely up for grabs from other parties. Um, And the Vox surge actually intensified back then um, when they got 52 seats, more than doubling their existing caucus in the Chamber of Deputies. Since that last election, the socialist polling numbers have held relatively steady since 2019, pretty consistent throughout this entire four-year term. But the People's Party is significantly up. I mean, in some opinion polls, they're up about 15% of the vote. So that is what's going to be making the difference in this election. And that is the context in which I want to ask you, Chern, given all of that, why... Did Pedro Sanchez call a snap general election in the aftermath of historic autonomous community parliament losses and opinion polls that are suggesting pretty much he's almost guaranteed to be out of office? Can I answer a question before I give you my take? Were you surprised he called for an early election? Was this one of a wow moments for you? I think it was a wow moment for everyone. I mean, in the last few weeks, I've been watching some interviews with some... Um, senior political scientists who specialize in Spanish politics and even they were very surprised at this decision but they were putting the asterisks in of Pedro Sanchez's entire political career has been based on taking massive gambles um, and this I guess is just the latest one. Yeah I think I I, 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 I start with that because like, 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 like you, I was very surprised. I think we had covered politics in so many different countries that I don't think uh, we we can rationally break down 
um, or immediately come to the conclusion of why a certain political actor has behaved this way. But with this uh, with this decision, I really had to think about it. And I think he's hoping... I mean, think of it this way. Look, look, compare it to the UK. So this year's local elections were terrible for the Conservatives. They had a thousand plus seat losses, which I think is reasonably comparable to the scale of the autonomous community losses that the socialists suffered um, in terms of losing control this time around. There was absolutely no way Rishi Sunak was going to stand on the steps of Downing Street on that Friday morning and say, I'm going to call a general election. That's the equivalent. Well, I should say as well that the socialists lost 1,569 councillors. So, but that being said, there were more councillors up for grabs than in the UK. But, you know, they also had a massive night of losses and the People's Party gained over 3,000 councillors on the night. So that's that's what it be. And I think my take on it is that Pedro Sanchez is hoping lightning strikes twice. In a sense that I think what happened in 2019 was that the fear of Vox drove a lot of moderate party voters or people in the center ground to vote for the socialists. Um, but... And in the hope of, you know, boosting them and enabling them and their allies to form a government without the support of the far right. I think that could explain a lot of how the Citizens Party vote collapsed. Was that it simply was the case that the People's Party was flirting in the far right. The Citizens Party faced an existential crisis and voted with the socialists in the sense to enable them to form a government without the far right involvement. This time around, four years on, you are in the case where the peop- the socialists now have a record in government of over the last four years that they cannot run away from. And I wonder as well, given the instability, the COVID-19 pandemic, for example, the cost of living crisis, that just makes it a lot harder to not to that same argument in terms of, the f- to, of striking the fear of the far right to ensure that moderate voters vote with the socialists again. I don't, I can't see how lightning strike flies, but I, I have a feeling that the purpose of it was to ensure that moderate voters remain with the socialists because the reality mm. is, is that there's sort of a red block of parties and a blue block of parties where the left, the far left will vote for the socialists no matter what, and the far right will vote for the, the, the center left and therefore the center mm. right. And therefore, it's a task of both the socialists and the People's Parties to pick off these moderate voters. And Pedro Sanchez is probably hoping to do that same playbook this time round too. And and the timing of it, I think, is... I, I totally agree with you, by the way. And the timing of it is going to be that I think Pedro Sanchez is banking on we will now spend um, seven, eight weeks doing a general election campaign at a time when the People's Party on regional levels are actively negotiating with Vox. So it's not just a hypothetical for Pedro Sanchez to say, look, the People's Party will work with Vox. He will have actual um, examples all across the country um, for him to for him to point out. But I think what is worth saying is that we saw in Andalusia, we saw in Madrid that it can work the opposite way, which is that the People's Party actually benefit from saying, we don't want to have to work with Vox, so you should give us more votes. Um, and they ended up with absolute majorities in both of those cases. Now, I'm not saying Fiju's People's Party on the national level is going to get an overall majority, but you can see it working in the other way. Um, and the other things I will say is someone wrote a really interesting article saying that they think Pedro Sanchez would potentially 
um, inspired by his neighbour, Antonio Costa, in Portugal, who called a snap general election because of, um, after a poor set of local elections and the failure of the budget at the hands of the right, working with parties further to the right. Um, and what happened there? Antonio Costa ended up with a, a historic overall majority for his socialist party. Um, and the social democrats had really a, a terrible performance. And some people were wondering whether Pedro Sanchez was hoping to replicate that model um, that his neighbor so, so successfully did in January 2022. But the key difference, of course, is the fact that one was forced to go in for election and one called it on his own accord. And I do think people tend to treat it differently when they're forced to go to the polls because the government has been brought down by a budget. And there you have a very tangible example of the centre-right working in the far-right. Whereas in this case, there really wasn't a need for a, a general election. The government had a somewhat working majority. They didn't have a working majority in terms of socialists only, but the socialists and his allies could get this legislation through, you know, without any large, without any issues over the last four years. And I think, you know, people will be on their summer holidays. It's, there's a drought. It's the middle of summer. I think there will be quite a bit of resentment about being forced to go to the polls that might not necessarily work in uh, Pedro Sanchez's favour. Do you agree, Seb? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And we've seen um, just in the last few months, th there's been quite some large scale wildfires, particularly in northern Spain. Summers tend to have quite um, damaging heat waves and wildfires across the central belt of Spain in recent years. And we could see that replicated again. That said, there are some advantages to the timing. I mean, Spain will be in the middle of holding its rotating EU presidency. So Pedro Sanchez will be seen as a much more um, global figure because he will be heading up the European Council. I mean, there could be an interesting situation where the beginning of the EU Council is hosted by Pedro Sanchez and the end of it is hosted by his successor, um, which could be an interesting um, situation. But one other thing I did read about why this might be happening um, is that the election allows Sanchez to break away from his coalition partners and really just talk about socialist things because they've been coming under a lot of fire for relationships with Podemos, relationships with Sumar, and particular relationships with Bildu, which was punishing them on the regional level because Bildu um, was fielding some candidates who came from ETA, which was a former paramilitary Basque nationalist organisation. Um, and Pedro Sanchez was having to face questions about his relationships with that. And calling a general election allows him to completely distance himself from that and start reforming the image of his socialist party as an independent entity as well, which I thought was another interesting take on this. Possibly. I, I think that, that that is quite plausible as well. But it is very hard to distinguish yourself in two months than the last three and a half years whilst you've been leading the country to a global pandemic. But, you know, stranger things have happened in politics, I suppose. Do you think Do you think there's also an element of him just wanting to catch the opposition off guard? And, and I think, well, they're not ready for an election, so let's have it now. I, absolutely. I think everyone was preparing for that. The element of surprise is definitely there. But I still think two months, you know, the election was due at the end of the year. So I suspect party's preparation was not, if it wasn't at full tilt, it was somewhat getting to full tilt. So it wasn't a complete surprise. I just think that you just had to ramp up potentially the last maybe 
30% a lot quicker than necessary the last 80% if it had been held, if the election was due in a year and a half time. So I think that it, it was a somewhat of a surprise for the opposition parties, but I still think that the re main reason is that you're holding elections in which the People's Party and Vox are negotiating coalition governments, not only in one region, but across several regions. But I think where the argument is flawed, Sam, is that you have seen Vox supporting the People's Party in government, such as Castile and Leon. So they have concrete evidence of how Vox is behaving in a regional government situation. And would you agree with me, Sam, that because do you think that there's a changing attitude over the last four years towards Vox? Does it still have the same toxicity among moderate voters about the impact of a far right going into government this time around compared to four years ago? I don't think it does in terms of the right of Spanish politics, mainly because I think the People's Party have actually been adopting policies that are closer to the Vox's um, historic socially conservative policies. So in doing so, you've sort of brought along the moderate right to the further right of the political spectrum because it's seen as a more um, normal policy to have adopted. So I think it's one of those classic examples of the far right has been pulling the moderate right further along that political spectrum and they've been taking their voters with them. So I don't necessarily think the moderate left or centrists feel any differently about Vox than they did four years ago. But I think the the median People's Party voter feels differently about Vox than it did four years ago. What about if you're a moderate voter who used to vote for the Citizens Party? See, that, I think, is the interesting part of all of this, because the regional parliament, you saw the Citizens Party vote completely collapse into the People's Party, knowing that they were probably going to have to work with Vox across the country. But on the national level, it could be slightly different, because I think people do think differently about who is their, what their country looks like to other countries versus what their autonomous community looks like to other autonomous communities. Um, and whether the Citizens Party will feel very differently about Vox being involved in national politics than they do about more local and regional politics. And I'm sure the EU will also be caring about who is. It might be, first of all, annoyed with Pedro Sanchez that you're basically holding an election at the start of the EU presidency compared to the end. So a lot of the EU council work will be gunged up and, in, and the Spanish government will be caretaker mode with lots of uncertainty into the which direction will be taken, isn't yeah. it? So I'm not sure whether the EU would particularly take too kindly. And if, if Albert Feligio does become the new prime minister, to what extent? Uh, and I think this is very much a case of how well the People's Party gets close to the 176 seats for a majority. Because if you only force a few seats short, I think that he's sort of a scenario where you can probably ignore votes to a large extent because you can rely on ad hoc coalitions with smaller regional parties abstaining or something along those lines. And I think it's easier in those mm. cases because they're probably much more transactional in terms of wanting things for their region rather than massive policy changes at a national level that you can so-called um, bribe themselves off with if you for want but, of a better term. But the latest seat projection had them on 135 seats, which is a very different political situation. Indeed. And I think as well is that um, I think I saw one where I saw a poll that came out. They only put the People's Party in Vox with a two seat majority. So potentially this election could, Sam, get tighter. 
Yeah, and I think one of the things that has made it even tighter is that alliance that we've been hinting at between Sumar and Podemos, um, which has been frosty, to say the least. Um, in fact, I think Sumar were demanding that the Equality Minister, Irene Montero, was not featured in the negotiations or on the party list, um, which the Podemos were quite frustrated about. But um, they have reached an alliance. They will run together under the Sumar banner, which... I think will benefit. I think Pedro Sanchez will be very happy about that because it reduces the split in the left votes and could increase the number of potential seats that the the further left could take away from the further right. Um, so that is an interesting aspect to this election. What do you make of that alliance? Uh, I think it was need absolutely essential for the centre left to have any chance of forming a government that they had to come together. But Sam, I think just think just just a wider context is that. You know, Pe Pablo Iglesias is not a candidate whatsoever. And he was one of, you know, you go back five, ten years ago, you know, he was one of the um, big stars of Spanish politics. And, you know, Irene Montero, the Equalities Minister, is, her, is his partner. So it seems to me that that whole disruption, like I said earlier, both on the, the far right, is impact on the socialists and the citizens on the, on the centre right, both those figures have disappeared from Spanish politics. It is an is a new era. And I think that this this with these coalition negotiations, well, Suma and Yoanda Diaz is definitely in charge of this. And they had a taster of in some regions of what happens if you don't work together. I think the fact that they are due is more coalition of necessity rather than a co and a coalition of convenience rather than two ideological parties coming together. Mm. It might mean, Sam, I'm not sure whether you agree with me, do you agree with me that if Pedro Sanchez were to get over the line and rely on a similar government of the far left and the regionalist party, this could be a much more fracturous relationship because even amongst the far left, they're not united themselves, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, one of the conditions of the negotiation, which includes, there's 15 leftist parties in this Sumar alliance, um, some of which are very small and very contained to certain states. But part of the negotiation was that they would be distributed the top places on the regional lists across the country. So it might be even worse because it's not going to be that... Um, Yolanda Diaz handpicked Sumar candidates are going to be top of the list in every single one of these constituencies. You're probably going to have um, some place will be the More Space Party, some place it'll be the Basque Nationalists, some place it'll be Sumar, some place it'll be Podemos, some place it'll be the United Left. So you're not going to have 30 to 40 um, members of the Chamber of Deputies who all agree with the same thing, you're going to have 30 quite disparate um, members. So it's, it's going to be even worse than just if you're relying on small parties in there in individually. One, one final question before I ask for predictions overall. Um, we saw this in Aragon, where Existe, who is, of course, a Spanish political party which has links to empty Spain. If empty Spain, this, is, this will be empty Spain's or the, I, the policy platform empty Spain, come onto the national fray and because in many of these regions what kind of impacts do you think that it will have is it because potentially you're only a couple of seats in a sparsely populated region and therefore the threshold for seats is quite high the number of votes is quite high do you think they will have no impact whatsoever what do you think sam I think the likelihood of them having a sizable impact in this context is fairly minimal. I think if the left had have been a lot more fragmented, you probably could have seen empty Spain 
doing a little bit better. Um, but I think the situation now, which we didn't have four years ago, is this is very much who do you want to be prime minister? Pedro Sanchez or Alberto Fijo propped up by Vox? Um, and that is the that is the choice. Um, I think empty Spain benefits from a situation where m a lot of people don't want either of those things. Um, but I think this election feels a lot more binary than the last few Spanish general elections. Yeah, in fact, people could be almost voting about who you rather not yeah. won rather than who you yeah. won. Do you not want a centre-right aligned with the far-right? Or do you want Pedro Sanchez to continue as prime minister? I think that is the bigger question. But what, what now, I did think was interesting is that if you look at preferred prime minister polling, you know how much I love preferred prime minister polling. Um, Fiji and Sanchez are actually pretty much neck and neck and have been for quite some time. The one interesting thing I found is that actually Yolanda Diaz performs pretty well in preferred prime minister polling. So potentially her being at the helm of Sumar in this election could be quite advantageous for Sanchez because she's very popular um, and potentially in some situations, even though she's not the preferred prime minister because she's of course not going to be the prime minister, um, potentially her popularity could, could prove a benefit to the left as a block. But I think the left as a block one thing I did note, I'm not sure about, if you go back to the regional elections, Sam, and this is a final point before we talk about predictions, is turnout. Because the turnout in the regional elections, I'm not sure if you've seen some of the regions, but turnout, you're looking at like 65, 66, 67. And nationwide, last time, turnout was 70%. So you are probably going to see a very similar pool of voters in the regional elections where the socialists and the left generally did very badly. And this election, isn't it? Yeah, and as we talked about, I think turnout will be impacted by the timing because a lot of Spaniards will be elsewhere on holiday. A lot of them may be able to unable to get to polling stations because of fires, the heat wave, um, droughts. Um, so turnout could be quite interesting. Well, Sam, if you asked me two years ago when we first, well, you know, when we first started this podcast, I was going to say nearly three years ago, can we produce an one ep full podcast episode in Spain, my answer would be absolutely no way. <laughs> but as we close out this episode, um, let's start with that all-important predictions. What do you think will happen? Bearing in mind there's about six weeks to go, I, I would be surprised if we don't end up with a right-wing government in Spain. Um, I think the mountain is too high to climb in that short period of time for Pedro Sanchez. And I think, yes, it might have caught people off guard to have this election now. Yes, it's been um, fought in with Vox PP negotiations going on in the background. But at the same time, I think the People's Party are being very smart about it and they're being very hesitant in their negotiations with Vox and could end up doing more of an Andalusia Madrid style situation where they attract voters to reject Vox than the opposite way around. Um, that's my sense of where it is now. But Six weeks is a long time in politics um, and things could change. But I think the suggestion for the entire term has been that this will probably be Pedro Sanchez's last term as prime minister. Um, and I don't really see that changing too much in the next six weeks. Well, just ask Theresa May, what can change over a six-week election campaign? Yeah. Um, I, I am a bit more pessimistic over... Uh, Albert Fijos, I think he will still be Prime Minister, but I think that it will be that that Pedro Sanchez, the, the problem I see is that 
I think the, the center-left's messaging or scare campaign will be effective enough to reduce him to a point where he's quite dependent on Vox, but it will still enable him to be prime minister purely because um, Pedro Sanchez has now had a four-year run at being prime minister over the COVID pandemic. And one thing we have talked about is that I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, I'm trying to think, with the exception of Emmanuel Macron, so many countries in Europe have changed their governments once or the, their face of voters after the first vote after the pandemic have changed their governments. And I, and maybe Spain and Portugal, Portugal, so France and Portugal are the exceptions, which is ironically in the same part of the world. So maybe that might, something might be different. But I do think that it will mean that his ability to recover will be such that I don't think the People's Party will form necessarily as well but potentially they'll be dragged down to an extent that although Albert Friedrich will still be prime minister, he will be quite dependent on Vox. So I think a much more closer relationship, therefore, mm. would be needed than in your scenario where if he, if he falls just a few seats short, I still maintain he can maintain a very loose sort of arrangement. But I do concede that in my scenario, there is, of course, a large risk that it could be on the big plus side, like we see and, you know, he could end up with a very slim overall majority. It really is dependent on how the cookie crumbles in many of these seats. But and do you see suddenly... any world in which Pedro Sanchez remains prime minister? Let's put it this way. I would be surprised, probably, but not to the same level as him calling a snap election. <laughs> Good answer. I agree. Um, but for now, that is it for the latest episode of Ballot to Talk About. Do join us again next week where we'll be breaking down recent election results in Montenegro, including their national parliament election, which takes place today. And we'll also be turning stateside to give an update on all things USA as the journey to the 2024 presidential election really hots up despite being 18 months away. And as always, we'll continue to keep you up to date on the world of politics and elections from around the world. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at at ballot underscore talk. And please leave us a rating or review or simply tell your friends about us. You can also email any feedback or comments to ballot to talk about at gmail.com. My name is Sam and until next time, we'll speak to you soon. I love you just have to put that in, but it's so true. <laughs>